Hello and welcome to Poetry in Albra's podcast series. Our weekend festival of readings, workshops, open mic and more take place during November each year. This recording was made during our 2020 festival via Zoom. We hope you enjoy it. Good morning, good afternoon everybody. Welcome to Poetry Albra and the Suffolk Coast. Uh, so great that you could join us today for our second reading on place following our lunchtime reading yesterday north south east west where we took a coastal tour of the uk today we're talking about place uh, britain and europe um, and we've got four poets who are going to read to us uh, from their various locations around europe uh, for this next 60 minutes i should just introduce myself my name is paul stevenson one of the co-curators of poetry in albra um, we're all here on Zoom rather than being in the Jubilee Hall or Peter Pierce Gallery. For those of you who are new to Zoom, um, you can choose gallery view to see the whole audience on small tiles, or you can, I suggest, choose speaker view so that you see the poets up large on screen. Um, please do use the chat at the side of the screen. Tell us where you're coming from. It's great to, to hear where you're coming from all around the UK, Europe and beyond. Do give feedback to the poets on their poems as they read. Uh, so, and later on, I might be there might be some time for questions. So, I'm delighted to uh, welcome four poets today on this uh, theme of um, Britain and Europe, living between places. All four poets live between Britain and other European countries, as I do myself. Uh, so, it's wonderful to welcome them here today. We're going to hear four poets read their sets, but what I thought I'd do to begin with is just introduce the poets with one poem each. So I'm going to pass first of all to Sharon Black. Hello, I'm joining you from France. This is Café des Arts. What could be better at 10am than espresso, croissant, and freshly pressed orange juice at a table on Rue Saint-Guillem. Somewhere else, big wheels are turning. A factory worker is being fired and oil rigs sprung a leak. A head of corporation is dabbing his wife's cheek as she weathers a contraction. Eight billion lives revolving on their axles. Here on Saint-Guillem, an electric UPS van glides between lit facades, between a toddler in a pushchair and a woman in red jeans with matching caddy, between two ladies with four dogs on leads and a cyclist. It meets a white van, reverses, pulls into the side, lets the petrol engine lather past. Eight billion revolutions in the time it takes to drink a coffee, drain an orange juice, dab up buttery flakes, the biggest, then the smallest. Thank you, Sharon. Fakina McDonnell. Thank you, Paul. I'm uh, reading from Manchester today. Uh, I'm a Dutch national and I left um, the Netherlands half a century ago. When I'm back there, time folds in on itself. It's a short poem. Here I am walking. Here I am walking with a small horse. I found it on the path to the supermarket where it stood, eyes closed by yellow gorse. All this happened a long time ago, before I was born before the war, and the rope in my hand smells of horse. We can turn to the right, walk over the dual carriageway, head for the dunes, four bronze crosses to remember the war dead, and we'll arrive, place our feet on the beach, where it will soon be night. Thank you, Fakina. Alex Josephy. Hello, thank you, Paul. Great to be almost in Aldborough. I'm reading from the East End of London, um, wishing I were back in Italy, but locked down here. A word in your ear. Cielo, the heaven of unimportant things. Half an hour together in the usual bar, 
It's a light still on when the morning sky starts to remember blue. Cielo, just look at the shape of it. Five strokes, a hasty dot, slight enough to skim a canvas on a brush tip, watery peaks and arcs, that fluent curve, a sudden smile, standoffish verticals, and then a hug. A little bite of something sweet and quick. Cielo, 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 warbles the pastry cook. His cielo is yeast that swells the heart of a brioche, opens rooms of warm air in a bread roll. Thank you, Alex. And Christopher North. Thank you, Paul. Um, I'm Christopher North from uh, Alley County, the village of Relio. My poem, Europa, I bow to thee. I bow to thee, my lands, my Europe, rock and sand, mystic islands, encaged sea. And a man crosses an Athens street twixt coffee and office, wailing traffic below carriages, the canal bridge at Corinth, compass orchid, dawn light in Zagreb, Vienna, Le Havre and Lesbos, sweet chestnuts, the Hague, St. Mark's and Patmos, Tori Akbar, the Agjample of Barcelona, mesh of pipes as the train past Tarragona, a brown bilious Tiber, dry carob leaves, a bus ride to Florence, the ten-year-old thieves with their cardboard shields on the Spanish steps, voices like angels, then Borghese, the fool in lips, glowworms at Talois, Caminos from Easter, Mulsanne in Le Mans, and Seville at Easter, the Atomium of Brussels, sudden out the window, Marhofen mornings and Aitana's brief snow, Towers of Frauchenchurch, Siena's gold door, the Somalian reading a Mozart score in a Munich cafe, Kent cigarettes, a Morisco track, La Mancha Road houses, sunsets red, barred black, Salt Lagoon flamingos, Icapan on Elba, Smoking Stromboli, Vesuvius and Etna, Tertulia beneath banyans of Gabriel Miro, La Sithi windmills, the Zen of Palermo, Bright girls chattering on the Metropolitana, Eucalyptus of Galicia, and the bar in Triana, The sad girl on the steps of her shop in Ganchi, And high on Divino, a glimpse of the sea, Showing Molly Bloom to Giselle from Gibraltar, The Asphodels of Paphos, Abigail from Malta, Dead gantries of La Union, an Arabic terrace, the nave of San Sulpice, the square at Arras, autumn beaches of Mamets, Le Bassac Poussillon, Elches La Dama, Nossos, Garde Lyon, Gebetho d'Or Sanchez, Lima d'Or's on the ridge, Sandrock and Deltas, La Reina's Bridge. I bow to thee, my Europe, I bow in hope. I bow to thee, my Europe, I bow in hope. Thank you, Christopher, for that whistle-stop tour of Europe. Uh, all four poets who are reading today have embraced free movement to live and work in other European countries, and each, each of them has been affected by Brexit um, in very different ways, and I think that's going that's to come out in some of their poems. So we're going to start with the first short set from Sharon. Sharon Black is from Glasgow and lives in a remote valley of the Cévennes Mountains of France. Her poetry is published widely in the UK and she's won many prizes for her work, most recently the Guernsey International Poetry Competition 2019 and the London Magazine Poetry Prizes 2019 and 2018. She's the editor of Pindrop Press. Her two collections are To Know Bedrock, Pindrop 2011, and The Art of Egg, Two Ravens 2015, Pindrop 2019. Her third collection is due out very shortly. Over to you, Sharon. Thank you, Paul, for a lovely introduction. I'm very, very happy to be here. Um, so just to give you a bit of a resume as to why I am where I am, I've lived here in France for 20 years, having spent regular holidays here as a child in which I fell in love with the country. I've raised my family here, two daughters, and I'm due to be getting my French nationality any day now so that I can hold um, dual nationality. I'm also very proudly Scottish and return often to Scotland, especially to visit the Highlands and Islands. And as you said, Paul, I run Pindrop Press, which is based between Scotland and France, as well as organising writing courses for Abri Creative Writing. 
I write a lot about identity and my next collection includes a series of poems about Scotland, its history and what it means to be Scottish. The collection after that, which I'm working on at the moment, is about my life here in France, specifically the Cévennes, where I live. It's a remote mountainous area um, in the Languedoc region with a turbulent history, rich traditions, a flavorful dialect and stoic, quite wonderful people. So I'm going to read a few poems about this part of France that I now call home. The first three draw on local idioms or words used today that have their roots in history. This first one is, they say a wall is at nine months. When on the verge of splitting, belly swollen, the land behind it straining to burst through until overnight or after heavy rain, the stones can take no more. The wall relaxes onto the road. These are the lucky ones. Rebuilding is imperative and swift. Those on private land aren't quite so fortunate. The grassy slopes along each tier where vines and mulberries grew, now overgrown, invisible, until winter when ghosts emerge on a skeleton of land, mule and cart conducting dung along each terrace, a line of men with scythes and barrows, children clipping woody stems, their younger siblings raking leaves, hugging courge, potimarron, citrouille, potiron to their chests, passing them to others below. Um, my next poem is entitled De Souche, which means of the tree stump or from a parent tree responsible for the smaller trees around it. Locals born and bred are de souche. Left alone, a stump will put up shoots, will start anew. Like the mulberry, we prune back hard each year for lusher growth than next. Or the plane trees in the village docked in winter to green grey fists that in summer shade the square. The workers cradling amber pints. The women at the lay-by every Tuesday waking, waiting for the market bus. The gravel pitch where chasseurs, pêcheurs, pasties drinkers play pétanque. Sabotage. We know when a shift is through. Our men's footsteps echo on the road like mules' hooves. Last year, the patron docked their wages when iron for the tracks became scarce, but not their hours. They went to work as usual, did a poor job, took an age to scrape down a bucket's worth, didn't check the overburden. Two weeks they kept it up. Furious, the patron paid them in the end. Taste of their own medicine, doled out to the bosses in a waxed leather richelieu. So the Seven area, despite its Mediterranean climate, also has a very high annual rainfall. In fact, it's raining at the moment, with most of the rain following, falling in April and October in heavy bouts. These are known as Episode Sivanol. You can tell it's coming by the metal panels slotted into doorways, the glances up, the shaking heads, signs, the sky's about to unravel, the garden swell, the poplars on its banks about to find themselves knee deep. Clouds collapse, then plunge to earth without pausing to inhale. The shuttered house across the valley settles down, forlorn and grey. From other roofs, smoke rises like a prayer, evaporates. In wellies and cagoules, we dash to feed the chickens, to snatch the mail. 
while in the bedroom drips chime into two pans and a bucket. Up here, we're okay. Down in Andus, the garden bursts. Cars go floating off like bales. In the butcher's queue, the old timers mutter, remembering the year the Pont du Nord collapsed and the river swept the mill boss to his death. Living in such a rural area, I write a lot about the natural world. In the past, we've adopted a baby wild boar, sat with a dying deer, probably mauled by a wolf, until a hunter came and put it out of its misery. We swum with snakes, seen beavers and otters and pine martens up close. And my final two poems are about our local wildlife. This one here is wolves. Eyes flaring in a headlight, outline larger than a fox or wild cat, longer legged than a dog. Sheep mauled in that distinctive way, haunches torn, bellies ripped, entrails plundered, the rest intact. They came across the Alps, Savoie, Drôme, Ardèche, now the Haute Valley. Our kids' eyes widen as they plan their route. The legend of La Bête de Gévaudin still fresh from childhood. The wolf that snaffled infants from their beds, devoured shepherd boys. Blustering, they pack up tents and stove and sleeping bags. One daughter frowning at the pocket knife she slips into her rucksack. The other switching pepper spray from school bag into food tin. Next day, they're full of tales of howling, though it could have been an owl, of panting, though it could have been the wind, as they rush over each other, eyes shining like a predator's, fixed forever to that spot in the telling after. My final poem is... Um, about an incident that happened a couple of years ago at the end of August and hasn't happened since. Um, it's called One Night Upstream. Say it was waiting for you. Say it bowed and slipped like wet clay underwater, sidled to a boulder as you reached it, torchlight flashing. Say your eyes were moons reflected in its held breath, that you, kept, that you crept closer until you loomed above the darkened pool and still it lay. Its eyes were open and reminded you of someone, something, that not knowing what you crouched and touched it, settled your hand first along its back the dense coat silver in that light. Then along its wide tail, stiff and rubbery, scales smooth along the length. Say the strength and weight of this rudder could steer the deepest silence. Say it lay there, that it let you take your fill, then curved its body to a pale apostrophe and dissolved upstream. Say what it left behind was flame shadow, that the absence on your fingers shone for days. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much, Sharon, for a beautiful reading and for transporting us to the landscapes of uh, Southwest France. Um, some beautiful images there, the poplars finding themselves knee deep, the houses settling down, the cars, floating off like bales, and of course, the, the snaffling wolves. Thank you very much. We're going to pass now to our second reader, Fakina McDonnell. Dutch-born Fakina McDonnell lives in Manchester and Wassenaar in the Netherlands. Her poems have been widely anthologized, published online, and in a range of magazines, including The North, Orbis, Magma, Poetry News, The Frogmore Papers, Strix, and Mislexia. 
Her competition successes include the Sonnet Prize in 2012 and the Wear Poets competition. One of her poems was nominated for the Forward Prize in 2019. Recently, Fakina received a Northern Writers Award for Poetry from New Writing North 2020. She has two poetry collections and a pamphlet. Fakina. Thank you. Um, I acquired a little bolt hole in the Netherlands 12 years ago. Uh, it's a static caravan near The Hague, just a couple of miles from the beach, and it backs onto a horse race track, so hence the horse that appeared in that poem. And over the years, mishaps, I've acquired a mild anxiety about the time difference between London, GMT, and I'm always checking in my diary, is this London time or NL time? But this poem is also about the first time I used Zoom. Vossenaar, the Netherlands, 10 April 2020. The steady green light of my hearing aids huddled together in the coracle of their charger. Night owl that I am, it's 10 before I rise. I've not worn my aids for days. No one comes, only Astrid. I know the sound of her voice. Blackcurrants, soya milk, no urgency about the bike ride to top up supplies. Enough eggs to scramble Good Friday breakfast before putting on my Sunday best. At 2 p.m. London time, there is the Zoom to remember poet Stuart Quine. I've printed off the collage of photos and his haiku under blue sky a perfect day of no importance. Phonak aids, champagne color, Swiss precision. I so want to hear the birds, the odd biker. The black hand has crawled up to the vertical. I raise my glass at six o'clock for another day. So usually I go to my caravan in the Netherlands for no more than uh, three or four weeks at the time. But of course this year with the lockdown, I've spent uh, just over six months there. And I got to a very uncomfortable period when my English was fading and I didn't have um, my Dutch and other languages uh, were being dredged up. So this is a poem about that uh, odd, uncomfortable time. 16 weeks. Or I should say that it borrows a few words from uh, Jan Kaplinski and from Thomas Tranströmer. 16 weeks. The Black Weeks marched past, solitary salutes, polished boots kick up the dust. If rain is possible, everything is possible radishes, dill, and cucumber. Today, cheerful young men queue again at the fish stall. The new court of justice has green walls, growing walls. These must be the green weeks. On the shed roof, a pigeon pulls twigs from the golden elm. I once saw Harry Christopher on a train. I also recognized the man with glasses and big ears. Did I tell you they were queuing for herring? Chopped onion is optional. Undeciphered day, days, like Aztec hieroglyphs, like pieces from a double-sided jigsaw. Proxima parada, los arcos. Proxima parada, centro de salud de Aiza. Proxima parada, muele de Playa Blanca. 16 lines, that can only be fishing lines, request for permits doubled this spring. The herring eater is a giant, rusting slowly on the broad promenade. 
I have borrowed words from the living and from the dead. The purple weeks too have come and gone, generous rhododendrons. White weeks have stretched out, waiting. I want to draw a line under all this. Now, I'm not the um, only one, I'm sure, who's written a poem about uh, Brexit. And mine is an ABC Darian, so it's too long with 26 lines to read today. Um, so I will read the first few lines and uh, the last. Uh, going bananas. Aliens office. The first destination on my 1969 arrival, a somewhat bewildering encounter with Blighty's bureaucracy in London. Colombella does église, it ain't. And I'm in Manchester now, five decades down the timeline, feeling like a sick parrot, a dead one even. I was an economic migrant, attracted by English eccentricity. Fork handles, fork handles. Wit and humor have been turned into the groundhog day of Brexit negotiations. Yes, the yahoos are among us, yanking us closer and closer to the edge. Zealots who prefer the zilch no deal while I cry and pluck my zither. So earlier I mentioned the bike ride to top up supplies and that's what the next poem is about. Shopping at Albert Hang. At Easter, the people were visiting garden centers and large furniture stores. Cars queued round the block. Mark Rutte, the PM, called the Dutch lockdown intelligent. I eat well. My weekly list always starts fruit, fish, veg. The Albert Heijn supermarket is over two floors on Royardsplein, a long dead famous actor. My shopping list is in English except for Havermoutflocken and the Ombeidkoek, about which I change my mind each week. As by then downstairs, I view the trolley and give priority to one liter of South African white with the logo of a giraffe. The bike with khaki saddlebags is an old gazelle. My shopping is geared towards maximizing space. Three trays of raspberries, red currants, or blueberries equal one tray of strawberries. I still have the live bezel. I bought my first week here mid-March. Breakfast this morning was two buttered slices of wholemeal with avocado from Peru, two white eggs from Outlope Kippen. In English, we'd say free range. And the, um, the last poem um, I wrote uh, inside the caravan, uh, and it's called Blackbird. There's a blackbird on the wooden fence. It looks left, then right, stretches up, and its yellow beak plucks an orange berry from the pyracansa. It looks left, then right, another berry, and one more, it flies off. My caravan at Birch Pass 41 has been my home since March. The pyracansa, planted eight years ago, reaches into the garden behind and up into the golden elm. I am inside my caravan standing still, a glass in my hand, humming, singing in the dead of night. I am content when the blackbird returns, left, right, 
small berry. Thank you. Thank you, Fakina, for that incredible reading. I think we all feel transported to that caravan park in Vassanar. Uh, there's so much in your readings, the incredible image of those uh, hearing aid batteries in the charger right at the beginning and your scrambled eggs for Good Friday lunch. Um, you, you totally capture those early days of lockdown, you know, the wanting to actually hear a motorbike, um, you know, in your 16 weeks uh, marching past with solitary, solitary salutes and your days like a double-sided jigsaw, your generous rhododendrons and uh, your wonderful Abbasidarian poem. Thank you so much for taking us back, transporting us back in time, I think, to that period where we all focused in with great attention on those those day-to-day -day tasks that we would not normally think twice about. And you, um, the, the detail is incredible. Thank you. We're going to pass now to our third poet, Alex Josephy. Alex lives in London and Italy. Her collection, Naked Since Fathersham, was published by Pindrop Press in May 2020. Other work includes her pamphlet, Other Black Birds, Cinnamon Press 2016, and White Roads, poems set in Italy, from Pekka Kariki Press 2018. Her poems have won the McLellan and Battered Moons Prizes and have appeared in magazines and anthologies in the UK and Italy. As part of the Poetry School Mixed Borders Scheme, Alex was poet in residence at Raynham Hall, Essex, and in Markham Square, London. Alex is a mentor for Cinnamon Press. She writes poetry reviews for London Grip and Envoi. Alex. Thank you, Paul, for that lovely introduction. Sadly, Envoi is no more, so I, I did do that. <laughs> Open to suggestions. Um, I feel very much a European. I live partly in the east end of London, but lately mainly in a small village in central Italy and can't wait to get back there at the moment. It's actually lovely being in this group of poets where we're, we're traveling with the Zoom. It feels very liberating and thanks to all of you. Um, I'm going to read a couple of poems from Naked Since Faversham and some more recent poems too. Some of the poems have Italian words in them, and on the whole, I won't translate them. I think they can be easily understood, probably. And if not, maybe that doesn't matter. If anyone here is Italian or very good at Italian, um, my apologies for stumbling, but I'm quite interested in, in stumbling into Italian. My adopted village has been fantastically welcoming, um, both as a place and and the people there. This is one of my neighbours. I hope he'll forgive me for this poem and I'll forgive him. Um, uh, Christopher has alerted me after hearing this poem that there's a wonderful Elizabeth Bishop poem, Manuel Zeno, that is a bit like this poem. So, so kind of in retrospect, I think it should be after Elizabeth Bishop. Roberto Moretti. I find his cigarette butts in my geranium pots. He watches with a frown, makes a flicking gesture as I wrench the Suzuki Jeep into the residence parkeggio. Parallel parking, five attempts. He shaves his head till he's as bald as a bullet, appears in full body armor, white nylon, as if clearing up a nuclear incidente, mows down all the grasses and wild garlic in the orchard they inherited from his brown-eyed nonno. To protect my eyes from the welded steel drying frame he's erected overnight, I festoon a pergola with sweet honeysuckle, Italian jasmine to scent the evening air, and he, fires up the griglia, fills the valley with sausage smoke. He takes a month off work, sits out in a lopsided chair, dawn to dusk. He tells me, we should tidy our terrazza. He's seen three serpenti there this morning before I was up. I ignore his advice 
plant lupins that feed the aphids, concentrate on modern Italian verse. He makes strong limoncello from three lemon trees in flower pots, gives me a taste in a plastic water bottle. He teaches his daughter Elisa to water the lavenders and the mottled roses. He shows off their kitchen, sunflower yellow gloss all over, just to please Elisa, even the rubbish bin. He leans across the pergola, hands me baby zucchini, warm and sweet, plucked from the tangled stems in his orto. Us people trying to integrate into Italian life can get a little bit competitive with each other sometimes. Um, immigrants, expatriates, Italians call us stranieri, foreigners or strangers. We really want to fit in and we want to learn the language and it's hard. Um, Italian B1 is the exam you need to take when you're moving toward citizenship. Italian B1, threshold or intermediate. Naming is next to knowing. So we start with wins. To know the Tramontana's Albanian music in the branches of Oniello, flowering ash. Run from the black bora, rain from Slovenia falling from its belly. It's a kind of game to be field savvy to greet the snakes, vipere in their hiding places, coiled against leafy crooks of vines, bleached grass along the ditches where frustone slides its dry green scales. With your arms around the sotopancha, can you tell an olive tree's longevita? Who is Mauro's second cousin? What was the piccato? that bound Marta to the ancient twins in the tower house. Why would the farmer call his tractor whore of the Maremma? Shout the paralacha that damned each arrow dropped to earth when our archers hung their heads in defeat. It's only us stranieri who strain to know. If you're born here, you could never forget. Um, I wrote this poem in, in denial of Brexit. 2016 was a bad year for, for me, according to me, in many ways. One of those was the, the Brexit vote. Um, San Martino summer is a name for Indian summer around the, the feast of San Martino. What else? Um, Cochinelle means ladybirds. And this poem refers to the Italian habit when women get older in Italian, in, in Italy, they tend to dye their hair, often red. So it's a red-haired poem too. Picnic with Coccinelle. That day, Lorenza found the snake green stones that rattled in her hand. We forgot about Brexit. A torrent sang hundreds of complicated questions and no one shushed it. A day deep in woodland without news bulletins, no coverage, just leaves and her Italian mama's backpack of extra layers, redundant as it turned out. Rotting tree roots lifted ruffled fungus ears, listened for our retreating footsteps. Lorenza stroked the head of a shaggy toadstool, cuddled a moss bunny. Mobbed by ladybirds, we shared her English merenda, jamsanis, the insects wanted too. Black on yellow, scarlet on black, the coccinelle swarmed out of a litter bin, children of this San Martino summer, perhaps the last sunny day this year. Lorenza rode high on her father's shoulders, with no memory of winter, saw the silver parting in her nonna's flaming hair.
thinking about the language the other way around. This poem is about Dino, my hairdresser of many years when I'm in the East End of London. He's actually retired recently. Dino came here in the 1960s from Italy, from the south of Italy, and he is passionate about language. So he would cut my hair, we would try to talk in two languages, and he would tell me how he was getting on at learning Cockney, very important for him in an East End hair salon. He met his wife there too. Um, the poem refers to an, an Italian idea called Campanalismo, which you may have heard of. It means loyalty to the bell tower, that kind of very local loyalty that Italian um, walled towns have always had and that still exists. Campanalismo, the campanile is the bell tower. Dino missed the sound of the bells when he was in London and I'm missing them here too. There's a lot of Italian in this one, so just let it be. For Nina Nana, they say lullaby. This London bed's so hard, il mio letto straniero. Long hours at the salon, sweeping floors, massaging heads, leave me sfinito, hyper, spogliato di riposo. I must learn to sleep in English, how to count these foreign hours della notte, the twelve, the two, the three, untongued from bells, triste ore, senza canzone to console them, specks on a dial, no campanile holds them, my head must do the ringing, alle tre, le tre e mezza, piango la mia testa piena, piena di rumori, orfani, di poveri, le quattro, the four and thirty, the five, fano il giro, loop the loop della morte, give me the shivers in this borrowed bed. They bring themselves into my mind, such blessings as the white padella della mia nonna, orange zafferano, il profumo of that girl. She's asked for me and nobody else to rinse her curls. The day just passed and then l'acqua calda, warm water, over my hands, her hair, il sospiro mio, I dare not yet translate. And um, the last poem, um, in 2016, there was an election somewhere in the world. There was a vote somewhere else in the world. And in Italy, there were earthquakes. I went to Umbria where the earthquakes were a couple of years later and saw signs of change. And in the hotel we were staying in, there was a wedding, a gathering. After the aftershocks, at the edge of the infinity pool, let us gather across the valley from the pink and white charade where intact stonework hides the ruins of a fallen town. Let's join together. Where a firefly sparks the dark between tilting tables and everything's a lantern. This champagne flute, a bowl of shining olives. This man and his darling. Like those farmers on the slopes of Santorini, making wine with a volcanic glow. They want to speak their promises from a lip of danger. Starting again, while kids from Rome go crazy on the terrace, pull apart white satin bows, play find the tortoise all around the lemon trees, fall into rough grass to gaze up at multiplying stars, all the days of their lives in this hamlet whose ovens once more sent the night with a dry, warm breath of loaves. Thank you. Thank you, Alex, for um, a stunning reading, beautiful evocation of Italy, the mottled roses and the pergolas, the, the wonderful yellow of the, uh, of the zucchini and the, the flaming red of the elderly signore's hair. I love the way you studied your reading with uh, 
with foreign vocabulary, the vipere and serpenti, the coccinelli. Um, wonderful the way you explore the wanting to fit in, you know, the stranieri straining to know and straining to be accepted, which is uh, what, of, what we often feel when we're trying to adapt to a new country. Um, and I think we all want this San Martino summer. We didn't, we all feel deprived of our summer. So let's hope next year we can travel and we can have a San Martino summer. Yes. Thank you so much, Alex. And we're gonna pass on now to our final reader, Christopher North. Um, a retired chartered surveyor since 2002, Christopher and his wife moved to Spain to facilitate writing retreats and courses at Almacera Vela in Relio Alicante. And I think many of you watching will have followed a course at the Old Olive Press. His first collection of Mesh of Wires was shortlisted for the UK's Forward Prize in 1999. Five collections since, his latest, The Topiary of Pashandala, a winner in the UK Poetry Business Competition 2018. He chairs Poetry Society's Stanza Alacant, now in its 13th year. He's currently working on a monograph exploring his diary entries from a long connection with the Way With Words Literary Festival in Dartington, Devon. Christopher. Thank you very much, Paul. Um, yes, I'm speaking here from a village in Spain where we've been uh, for, uh, for nearly 20 years now, which seems amazing to me. Uh, and the very first thing uh, that I encountered um, on coming to Spain was of course interacting with the language. So this first piece is learning the nouns Pencil is male, ink is female. Paper is male, letter is female. Text is male, truth is female. Beggar is male, pauper is female. Money is male, currency is female. Kiss is male, lick is female. Sex is male, life is female. Affair is male, wedding is female. Birth is male, death is female. Air is male, blood is female. Soldier is male, war is female. Day is male, night is female. Black is male, light is female. Chaos is male. Continuation is female. Uh, one of the first things um, I remember about our first, uh, our first years here were, of course, engaging with other expats, many of whom had come here, bought old farmhouses um, and uh, were reconstructing them. Uh, and we again became very friendly with one particular couple Lancastrians on Sierra Figurette. She rootled in the salad with her fork. It's not clear like what you'd expect, she said suddenly, nodding towards the joists, that varnish. It's come out sort of shit-colored, but I won't say I'm disappointed. I gave them ornamental ends, he murmured after a cicada-buzzing pause, them rafters. He picked up the wine bottle, held it at an angle, shrugged, you know, when we had no roof up there, it was like the lid of the world had been removed. Behind us, the high ridge said nothing. It was simply there. He said, our well goes down height of Blackpool Tower. The night before had been all flickering and crashes. The bolt seemed to split everything in half. Nothing for weeks, then they drop bathloads on you. He goes into the back glooms and emerges with a tumbler of clear water. Try this. Three days arguing about the width of a chain, she said, gazing. You wouldn't believe it possible. I could see it sagging across the entrance, red ribbon flapping in the middle. Necessary. A tractor driver had nearly beheaded himself the week before. Anyway, try it, he said, swatting a pointless fly. It's the first from the well. I gulped it down. It was mineral, clear and cool, the first of a good season. And we became very friendly with some very well-established um, expats uh, 
two artists living in a quite paradisal place, high up on, uh, uh, high up on a, uh, the ridge of uh, nearby mountains. It was a seeming paradise, idyll. He works his canvases slowly in a long studio with a tall window, claiming a view of a somber mountain, often wrapped in moving clouds. In the cleft of distant Sierra's wedge of sea, one day blue, another gray. His paintings include mirrors in ambiguous landscapes, a hint of space abandoned, voices just quieted by sleep, perhaps. She paints in a smaller room, Jasmine crowds her side window, the skeleton of a pipistrelle on her shelf, her paintings, misty landscapes, turbulent sometimes, with mid-ground shrouded figures. From their bed, morning light steals across Japanese dressing gowns, and books lean against each other on sagging shelves beside the stove. They burn almond logs that scent their ramshackle rooms, Above, a Roman-tiled roof adorned with pennywits in runnels where mountain rain flows lazily away. The garden is rampant white iris, aloes, wild chrysanthemum, and every spring, a plaintive nightingale. Now their kettle sings too, beside a bread bin full of olive-flavored loaves. All this edges wild Aleppo pines, they can take a path from their rear door, narrow and twisting, up through rosemary clumps and Kermes oak, pass a boulder he wants to paint one day, turn by a projecting route they ought to clear, and then it ends, so very close, with empty air. Far below, a desolate valley floor, with a brick-strewed, ruined farmhouse, wasted terraces, and a weed-blurred, uncertain track. It's not all paradise, of course, and uh, one of the things that uh, I'm sure everyone who uh, lives abroad occasionally uh, feels is about of homesickness, and this, this, this poem is uh, very much about that, and it uses the idea of the pathetic fallacy in reading a landscape. Imagine this is the view from my behind me. Actually, I've had to uh, blot it out because it's a terrible weather today. So I put up some Don Quixote Doré prints instead. Village fallacies. The oleander is in bloom beneath the orange tree beside four white chairs in earnest conversation. And Aleppo to the other side stares into middle distance, thinking of its cones, their destiny on the dry slopes. Wondering, too, about what lies beyond an edge of hill it can't see round. One chair self-importantly clears its throat as the oleander pirouettes flirtily with a chirpy valley breeze. Walls dumbly lie around, stones welded with ancient mud. Anything they had to say has been largely said. Nothing much to add and their diaries are bland. Repetitive, one day wet, a week or two dry, and evenings with that warm feeling from a prolonged bask at noon, enjoying the tickle of lizards. The cheery blue mountain spreads wide its welcoming arms behind an old man ridge that lies asleep, mouth open. The distant range, a great whale heaving in an ocean of clouds. Earlier today, the rain made persistent and dreary argument but the sky remained totally indifferent and above itself. Now, the pebble on the table sings a silent little song all about the scree it was once part of, a lamentation for those days when it felt more engaged and relevant. And I'll close um, with um, a poem based on the landscape here, but carrying another message. The linguists. At first, no one recognized it. It was assumed to be some excess thunder in one or two valleys in the Aitana range, a mumbling that bounced down ravines in a tonal rhythm, ignorable because not so far from the norm. But one morning, 
a jeep full of Buddhists roared into the town hall car park, screaming that all their books were redundant. Everything had changed. They were from a cloudy ridge below Peña Roche and caused a commotion of such intensity they were arrested. Fortunately, their lawyer was discerning. She called a press conference in Alicante. Ladies and gentlemen, the mountains are speaking. Linguists set up a series of research programs, some based in the Tatras, others beside Machu Picchu, one deep within a rocket silo in the Urals, and a two-man team were appointed to assess the scarcely audible murmurings of the Pensacola range in Antarctica. After six months of detailed analysis, a spokesman confirmed that the language of the mountains was translatable. It was found light on verbs, complex in its ordering of nouns, and dialectical variation was noted between the northern and the southern hemispheres. Southern ranges were rich in sibilance. But what are they saying, shouted the reporters from their world of plains and level suburbs. The linguist's eyes were full of distant possibilities. Their arrangement of tenses is impressive, one said but the seemingly dominant mode is supra-imperative. They suggest we prepare for water. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Christopher, for an incredible reading, um, taking us to the landscapes of, of mountainous Spain. Um, you started off with that wonderful poem where you, you put all these uh, nouns in opposition. I was going to suggest that maybe Zoom is masculine, online festival is feminine. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the um, wonderful landscapes, the domestic landscapes with the white chairs in earnest conversation. And then, of course, your mountain range like a whale heaving clouds. And I love that inquisition of language, the language of the mountain light on verbs, the southern range rich in sibilance. And uh, I think you, you, yeah, you give us a painterly vision of landscape that's honest, that it's not always oleander and orange blossom, that actually it can be a little bit more severe. And I think your, uh, what you said in one of your poems really captures, captures everything that uh, everybody's been saying. The pebble on the table sighs for the scree it was once part of. And mm. I think that says it all. But thank you. Thank you to our four poets for an amazing reading um, time is really upon us because I think we need to free up the Zoom for the next workshop. But I, maybe we've got time for one question. It would be lovely to um, put a question to you. Um, so I was going to ask about living in these other countries that you've been in. I mean, you've, you're adopted countries. How has that affected the poetry you've written? Uh, maybe beyond the subject matter itself, has it affected your style of writing? Maybe we could just quickly go around, starting with Sharon. Well, that's a good question. I'm not sure whether living here has affected my style of writing, but I'm certainly aware that it has increased the, intense, the intensity of the relationship that I have with my home country. And I find myself writing a lot about Scotland. I mean, I do go back there, of course, once, twice, maybe sometimes three times a year, but I write more about my home country, I think, than maybe I would if I lived there. Okay. Uh, mm. Thanks very much, Sharon. Fakina? Um, very difficult. I, um, I'm a Dutch national and um, I've lived here for half a century. And so I think it's, it, it has actually sharpened over the last four years that sense of uh, where is home and um, does, does that change over time? So it's, I think it's something that's evolving, to be honest, with having spent six months in uh, the Netherlands as well. Sure. Yeah, thank Thanks you. very much, Kina. Uh, Alex? Yes, and I think Fakina's lovely caravan is kind of an image for that in a way, maybe, isn't it? Your, your little movable feast of a caravan there. Um, I, I think um, it's affected me a lot, but it is hard to pinpoint. I mean, I write quite a lot in two languages at once at the moment, so that's been happening. 
that's, uh, people say, are you going to write in Italian? And I don't dare to do that, but I'm slightly edging the Italian in. So that's been a big change for me. And I think like Sharon, I think it makes me see both places as a straniera now. And maybe that gives me a different eye on things, a sort of intensity to what I see here and what I see when I'm there and how I think about them with homesickness in either place. Thanks, Alex. Christopher. Yes, it's interesting. Um, when I first came to Spain, I found I was writing all the time about this experience of arriving here. Um, most of those poems I now distrust. They, they, um, there was no depth to them. Um, now I'm finding I'm writing far more about uh, England, and they often say, don't they, that um, the best way to write about a place is not to be there, but to, as it as it were, be an exile. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't describe myself as an ex exile quite, but um, the other the other strand I think I've been um, exploring recently are um, uh, dual text by uh, bilingual. Um, uh, poetry particularly, um, someone has just sent me a copy of it, their collection which has the English on one side, the Spanish on the other. And what I'm beginning to find is if you read them both, one starts to inform the other. It moves, they, they almost have a conversation. Um, and I'm, I'm certainly looking in my poetry at that a lot at the moment. I think it's an interesting area um, and very, it can be very, uh, very enriching both ways. Not that my Spanish is very good. <laughs> uh, I'm still struggling with that, but um, it's a very interesting area. Thank you, Christopher. Um, thanks to all our poets. I'm afraid time is, is upon us. So I did have some other questions, but I've been told, you know, we need to free up the Zoom link for, for the next workshop. So thank you to our four poets. Thank you to Sharon Black, Fakina McDonnell, Alex Josephy, and Christopher North. If you want to use the emoticons and clap or applause, or give a heart, uh, please do buy their books, look on their websites, buy their latest pamphlet or book, do support independent bookshops if you can. And uh, if any of you haven't donated to Poetry in Aubra, we'd be very, very grateful if you could do so. Thank you for joining us on this European tour and I wish you all a lovely day. <laughs>